My guest today is John Briggs, CEO of Insight Tax and Accounting. In this episode, John and I discuss all the things that entrepreneurs and small business owners need to know about tax and the tax laws and how Insight Tax and Accounting can help you with the IRS and how 90% or more of the letters that folks receive from the IRS are not real and they can be fought. I was astounded when he told me how many letters come in that the IRS sends to people that are just not correct and most of the time they can just be reversed. So check this episode out. It's very informative and I was happy to have John on. Thanks for listening. John, how you doing? Good. We figured it out. Yay. <laughs> I appreciate you uh, you being the one to do this virgin voyage with me on uh, call-in. Yeah, yeah no problem. so uh, yeah, I had had gotten, uh, I, I got to the point where there was just so many things going on that the post-production of the podcast was literally killing me. And, and, um, and so... I kind of put feelers out to the people that are listening to it and said it either has to go away or it has to be done a different way where I, I am not, you know, for every one hour podcast, it was taking eight hours to post produce. So this brings us to call in. So is it sound okay? Yeah. Good. And you sound great on my end. You sound end. great on my end. All right. Well, perfect. Well, I appreciate you doing this, and I'm excited to talk to you. Um, I happen to be a five-day-a-week gym guy myself, so um, you, uh, this is important to me on, on okay. both health level and business-wise for the listeners. Um, let's just start where I always start these, these, these episodes, and that is learning – a little bit more about you, and I always give full license to everybody to go back as far as they like to, uh, to give a history. And some people are like, "Oh, damn!" I, all right, and then it's kind of refreshing at the end because when they're like, "God, I never went back that far and realized all I've done up to this point." Um, so you have full, you have the you have the stage to go back as far as you want to to kind of help. I think it's important for the listeners to figure out who John Briggs is and how you got to this point. And before I even get there, I'm just going to say this is John Briggs, the founder of Insight Tax and Accounting and the author of Profit First for Microgens. And so um, let's go ahead and and hear your your story and then we'll get into all of the tax stuff and and touch a little bit upon the the microgens and how you run your own business and things like that. All right. So, um, I won't give you, let me jump really, really far back before I jump forward a lot because it's super relevant to the topic of taxes. Um, I grew up in Huntington Beach, California before my dad retired and moved us to Missouri. But living in California, I was bullied by the neighborhood kids and I was bullied in school, um, mainly due to religious beliefs, but regardless of the reason, I was bullied. So that'll make a lot more sense when I get to the point where I talk about the IRS, because I feel like the IRS might be the largest bullying organization that consistently gets away with it. And so we're very passionate about protecting taxpayers from, I mean, I'd go as far as to say abuse. And anyway, so that's super important to me. Let's fast forward and skip a whole bunch of weird, awkward teenage years. (laughs) (laughs) um i went to school at brigham young university it's they have an amazing accounting program and um during that kind of first year of college i ended up deciding to spend two years in a different country and while i was down there I, i asked a mentor i said look you've gotten to know me a little bit what do you think i should do like you know i was I had no direction in life and I just needed someone who had success in their life to maybe give me an idea. And he said, you know, you'd probably be something good with business or law. Maybe try, try one of those routes. And I said, great. Okay. So I went back to school 
And I uh, found that whether I was going to go the law track or business track, both of those would take me through the accounting class. And so I, I took it a basic accounting class. And it was the first time in my life that a subject really clicked for me. Everything else um, I've had to work at, I, I can get good grades, I can have it, I can memorize things on the short term, but I just, it clicked for my really weird accounting brain, which I know doesn't make sense to a lot of people because there's very few of us in the world where we actually enjoy this accounting stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, so it clicked and then that path kind of took me to working with uh, one of the, they're called the big four accounting firms because they're, these four firms are kind of like billion dollar companies in the industry and most other firms try to copy whatever they do. So I worked at Deloitte. Um, I, I appreciated the people that I worked with, but I did not love the model. I, I found that there were some inefficiencies in the way these traditional firms bill clients where as a person doing a lot of the work assigned to me in the firm, I actually didn't have any control over the work, but they also incentivized me in order to get promotions and grow in the company is I had to have billable hours. Yep. But at the same time, I didn't have control over the workload handed to me. And so I was gonna get penalized for basically being more efficient than my other coworkers. And so human nature is you just work slower. The company is rewarding me for it. They get billable hours, but at the end of the day, the customer is the one that has to eat that inefficiency in additional costs. Um, and so I decided when I created my accounting firm, we were never gonna do that. Uh, so we, we don't, we, we do flat pricing. We do we, like monthly amounts, not like a retainer, but more of here are the services you want and we pay for, like you pay for it with the same monthly amount. Um, because to me, value exchange and fairness are very big, huge components of the culture that we've created in the way I believe people should be treated. And um, I kind of look for that in really all aspects of business and relationships that I have. But fast forward through that, I, I was a controller for a door-to-door sales company for a bit. Um, Got my CPA license, had to work at a CPA firm to get that, went out on my own. And uh, fast forward from there, we now have 30 team members and uh, we just get so much satisfaction out of helping our clients grow their wealth. That's our focus, help them grow their wealth. We've just chosen helping them with tax savings and cash flow management as the two main ways we help them grow their wealth. And when did you start Insight as, as your own company? Um, as my own company, 2011. Got it. Okay. And so here, uh, so I've owned my own business businesses for so many years. And the tax piece of it was always really, really tough. Um, and obviously, I, I always brought in a, an outside you know, accounting company or a book bookkeeper. Um, and it was funny that you mentioned, would you, you, did you call it the big four? Is that what they were called at that time? Yes. Yeah, so, so I, my, yeah, my first uh-huh. real company right. was in New York city and I had an ex, I don't know if it was Deloitte, but he, he was amazing. He, I, I actually tried to get him to work with me again once I established in Arizona um, because the knowledge that you guys at least get from those larger organizations is really hard to get anywhere else. But I completely understand what you're talking about when it comes to the model of billable hours, right? It's just like any of the large law firms. It's just, it's not about the client in the end. It's about, you know, what goes into the pocket of the firm itself. Right. So, so here's my first question as a business owner, and yep, I'm going to ask totally. these questions based on what I believe is going to be most helpful to anyone listening, uh, either live or eventually when this gets put up as a recording. Um, do you only handle uh, clients that are in, you're in the state of Utah, is that correct? Are, are, do you only handle clients there right. or do yep. you handle clients around the country? 
No, we have we have clients in every state, I think, except North Dakota. <laughs> Some weird, but okay. yeah, we're across the country. Okay. So how do you manage the uh, tax laws? How, how, di- how much are they different in each from state to state? Well, uh, in most cases, they're not that different. You have your outliers. You have the New York's and the Californias and the Washington's. Those are the three big three that are just so different than everywhere else. Um, But in most cases, state tax law follows federal tax law. Okay. Um, So what is the sweet spot of a company that you would work with? Um, Well, we... It's a great question. We don't usually look at it that way. We just we're, we think of it a little bit differently. We kind of just think about it as we know what we are worth. And if a client's willing to pay for that, then we're willing to work with them. And so that means if someone is only, say, making $30,000 or $50,000 a year, but they see value and they're willing to pay the fees, we're happy to work with them. Because, um, again, at the end of the day, if I go back to my... Uh, disclaimer that I was bullied as a child. I don't want anyone to go through what they go through. Like they get a, you get a letter from the IRS and you freak out and not knowing that that letter you got in our case, most of the time, like 90% plus it's wrong. So the IRS is sending out these letters, just knowing that taxpayers are going to write whatever check the letter says without really fighting um, whatever reason they're saying that they need to owe them more money. Uh, And so we want to protect as many people as we can from that. Obviously, we have families to feed. I need to support my team members. So there's costs with that. And uh, we we love all people who are just who who wants to save taxes (laughs) and not pay the IRS. So that's an incredibly high percentage that you just said. Is it that high that people these letters that land in everyone's mailbox every day that they are not, would you say, did you say like 97.9% or something like that? Yeah, 90 plus. Um, 90 yeah, plus. No, legit. Like, if I got 10 IRS letters, nine of them are going to have something on it that the IRS is suggesting that's wrong. That's incredible. I mean, here's a simple example. Um, I had a client pick them up. A previous year that I didn't prepare was audited, but I helped him through it. And even after agreeing with the IRS agent on the phone of the changes, the letter he sent me included a couple other line items that we did not talk about, which are penalties that they have 100% subjectivity to add. There's, There's no rule on it. They can just put it on if they want or take it off if they want. And it was to the tune of like $4,000 difference. And so like, I just, I called. And so this is like, even after conversation and verbal agreement with them, what he sends to me is wrong. Uh, Obviously we called him. I said, dude, you're assessing this penalty based on your own rules. This is the area and the rules in which you would assess it. And none of those fit this situation. Um, I think you need to take it off. He said, okay, I agree. I'll take it off. (laughs) Wow. That's, that's just incredible. It, it's mind-boggling. So let me ask you, since we're on this subject, because I have a lot of questions about all the services that you offer, and then we'll get to the book itself and, and what you also do with your own business outside of your, you know, your tax business. When you get a letter like this, and I, I'm sure a lot of small businesses, you know, they, they make a fair amount of mistakes as they're learning how to get up and running, right? So so you get a letter like this. Sure. Are you, sure, yeah. you sort of the uh, watchdog for a company that is a client of yours where you handle fighting when a letter like this arrives? Yeah, for our clients, we actually usually direct it where the letters are sent to us as well. So the clients get a letter. We usually get it and open it before the client gets to it. So that we can read through it, um, and then we just we were, we let the client know, hey, we got this letter. Like, oh, I just got this in the mail, but I didn't open it because I was afraid. <laughs> well, we've already re- we've already read it for you. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, and we tell them the next steps. Like, this is these are the action steps we're going to take. 
Now, when that happens, they, you said you work on a flat fee. Is that correct? Usually. Uh-huh. Okay. So let's just pick a, a, a random number that I hire you as my accounting firm and I'm paying you a $1,500 flat fee for the year. And that I'm just making up a number, okay? Because I don't want to put you on the spot yeah, because yeah, sure. every client's mm-hmm. going to be different. So we're just going to use some fictitious numbers at, the, at this moment. So if something like this comes in, under that that total amount of that fifteen hundred dollars that you've you've said is what I need to pay based on the the size of my company, the amount of tax help I need, blah blah blah. If you have to fight over a period of time, you know, days, months, weeks, whatever, it, that's all included, or does the clock start ticking when you have to actually go to bat for somebody? Yeah. I, most of the time, the a price that we agree to with the client includes the service that we are going to respond to letters on your behalf. We'll help you interpret it. We'll like if it's in our wheelhouse, uh, we'll be able to like get the proper response off to the IRS. In the rare situation where it's an actual audit, we. We'll help them interpret what the audit letter is asking for, like what exactly the IRS is auditing. We'll give them basically the checklist so that they could do it themselves. And then at that point we say, obviously we can help you with this, but because audits could be anywhere from an hour of work to a hundred hours of work, we're gonna, we're, we have to bill uh, for our time on that specific scenario. I mean, I've had audits, they were slam dunks. It's like, this is so easy. And it took the IRS a couple of years to like finalize it. And I have others that I'm like, Oh my gosh, the client's so screwed. He has no documentation and we resolve it in like a couple weeks. <laughs> Got it. Wow. Um, so that's a, a, another, it's great. You're, you're an expert at segueing here for me. This is perfect. Um, yeah. Okay. So audits based on your experience, how many, Let's just say, let's start with businesses first, because I think that's mostly the audience that listens to my podcast are entrepreneurs. How, how often, or, or what's the percentage of businesses that get audited? I mean, the IRS statistics would say it's like 1.6%, I think was the last number I saw. Less than 2% of people get audited, which is a bit, it's very so low. So it's low. They just don't have a lot of resources. Um, now, what the IRS considers, if, if like you have a W-2, your employer has to send a copy to the IRS. And if, if you accidentally put on your tax return that you say made 40000 but your W-2 said you made 50000 the IRS automatically sends you a letter generated by a computer that says you're $10,000 off. And therefore, we're assessing you some money. They consider that an audit. You and I... We consider the audit like the uh, I got a letter and it says they're coming for it. like they're physically going to come and pick up documentation and go. Right. Yes. Yes. It's the that's the nightmare yeah. audit. Right. And, and so that's what we you know, us normal people think of audits. Um, but the IRS actually so that one that less than two percent includes their letters that they automatically send. So it's even less than that. I I think we probably have a good track record compared to other accounting firms, but. I mean, we file like 3,000 plus tax returns, and I, I can't think of a single year where we've had more than five clients that get an audit like that. Wow. Well, that's good. That's good news. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Um, I know that because of the book that you wrote, Profit First for Micro Gyms, that you, and you, you happen to, are you still a gym owner yourself? I just sold it about three months ago. Awesome. Well, congratulations. Thanks. Um, is there any other, and I kind of asked this earlier, but I just want to make sure when anyone's listening to this, are there any other businesses that you really seem to specialize in, or is it literally all across the board? Yeah, we're pretty across the board. I mean, we've done a lot of lunch and learns for real estate agents, Um so we have a decent amount of real estate clients, whether those are brokers or investors. Um, 
network marketing is another big one here in Utah. It's like the capital for network marketing companies. It's crazy. So um, uh-huh. definitely deal a lot with those. But here's a little secret. Like I know when people listen to this and in general, people are just like, well, my industry is a little bit different and unique. The truth is you're 85 to 90%. Like you're, the tax rules that apply to one business apply to all businesses. And then occasionally some industries have some special credits or special deductions that they can take based on their industry. But for the most part, there's a lot of stuff that's pretty foundational across the board. Okay. All right. So that's good to know because I think you're right. People think that, oh, my situation is different. And I think that even goes to the point where – people tend to get comfortable with outside services, right? So it's like, I, I, if my dentist dies, I don't know what I'll do, right? That kind of thing. So if my, if my, my accountant dies, I don't know what I'm going to do. People don't change those services that often because they, they either get comfortable or complacent, right? So how do you convince totally. Like just again, we'll use me. I, I I never mind having someone use me as the example in my company. So you don't even know what my other business is, but my my business is a management booking agency where I book entertainment both here in Arizona and in Colorado for um, resorts, their nightly weekend sort of entertainment in all of their different venues across the property. I book entertainment for corporate events, both small and very large. Um, I work with private event companies. Um, and so I, I am in an area where I employ, I probably send out over 120 1099s in January. <clears throat> right? So that's a tricky, that's walking a, a scary okay. line a yeah. little bit because the IRS might want to say, well, we don't really understand this. What, what is it that you do? And it's like all of my, all of my entertainment, they're all self-employed people, like 99.9% of them. They're, they're literally a musician who yep. sings and plays guitar and plays five or seven nights a week and makes a living doing it. So, uh, you know, it's a tricky, it's a tricky thing with the 1099 stuff. And then, and, you know, this, the employment tax and what, what, you know, all the other things. So for someone like me, what would, what services could you offer me besides April, we get together and we talk about my tax return and you tell me how much I have to pay. And then we shake hands and I don't see you again for another, I mean, do you do like things throughout the year? Are there, are there checkpoints? Do you do, uh, do, do you offer services like you're an offsite CFO and you're looking at the books and you're saying, hey, Joe, you're, you're spending too much money on wine every weekend or, you know, whatever it might be? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, our biggest thing is we want to do what the client wants us to do. So we don't have um, like a, at a bronze, gold, silver package type of thing. It's right. Right, right, right. It's, it's exactly right. Yeah. Um, so it, like, it's interesting you say that. So um, I do have a client who was on The Voice. So I, I get that side of the business. I have another client who books things like you do. And we, uh, you know, would send out 1099s for him. And it's 80 to 100 a year because he's booking the bands and uh, collecting payment and then remitting it to them. So I totally understand that headache. And um, so, like, in your case, the biggest thing that they struggled with that we helped them with was like creating a process so that that band doesn't get a check from you until they give you their tax ID information. Because guess what? When they're done singing for you and you give them a check and it clears, there's no way you're tracking them down to get that information when you have, when you need it to file the 1099. Um, so, so we, we can like, in that case, we sat down with them, we consulted, we figured out where the hole was in the process and so now it's super smooth. They get the W-9 information or occasionally their international bands. So we get the, uh, it's a different tax form. We get them that form. We can save it for them. We have it on file. And now when we see that person pop up in their records on the 10 and 9 stuff, it's easy for us to file it. But yeah, we, 
we love tax strategy. The truth is filling out a tax return um, is really bare minimum. Any competent tax accountant should be able to do that. The real value is seeing, oh, you're in the entertainment industry. Well, maybe there's some research and development expenses that you currently have on the personal level that you don't realize are business expenses. So let's figure out how you could write those off. And if you're going to write them off, let's make sure you pay them out of a business account. So we talk through scenarios like that. There's probably a few tax strategies that, like I talked about at the beginning, that apply to every business um, that you you would want to implement immediately. We'd look at your entity structure. Are you even set up the right way? It, like these bands, these people that you're booking, I bet a lot of them are single member LLCs or just sole proprietors and you're writing checks to their personal names, even though they're businesses, you know, it's a terrible tax structure. So we help clients get the right tax structure so they don't overpay in unnecessary taxes. Um, but then on the flip side, I um, I have another client. He makes, uh, for the most part, docu-series is kind of his business. They're like documentaries, but in like our segments. Um, does very well for uh-huh. himself. And I meet with him on a weekly basis. And we go over what he has going on, the different things that he wants to. So in this case, um we're, I'm helping him get a, a loan to close on this commercial building that he bought. We helped him get a loan to close on his, the house that he was leasing. Uh, and so just, and then, we, you know, reports and financial information and, Hey, it looks like your cash flow is trending down or, wow, you got a lot of extra revenue this year. Here's another tax strategy we may be able to implement now that you have this type of cash available. So it's really the gamut of things. Um, we don't do audits. But uh, other than that, we, we just want to help the client grow their wealth um, it, it, with whatever way we possibly can. Right. So right now, my business, I have a outside bookkeeping company that literally, you know, I don't I could never survive without that. They do all of all of the invoicing and we have right. a really good system in place that transfers from our booking system that they have access to and they go in and, and I, I, they send me payroll every Monday morning. I review it. I compare it to the booking system and make sure that what they're going to pay out, that person actually went and performed and the, and the pay is right and all of that stuff. Um, but they also handle sending in all of, you know, paying taxes and sending in all of the, like when I get a weird form, because we have like a, a part-time employee now that's, that's living in Texas um, who's just doing some admin work, but you know, the, now I'm getting a letter from Texas saying you have to do this, this, and this, and I, I just take a photo of it and text it to or email it to you know the head of the the bookkeeping company. And she handles it. Um, so, do you mm-hmm. does your company do invoicing for clients, or is that something that's outside of the scope of what your company does? Yeah, invoicing is outside the scope of what we want to do with our bookkeeping yep. services. Um, uh, but yeah, there's lots of bookkeeping companies like you just described that are full service and almost function as if you had an in-house person. Um, I I just believe for accuracy's sake, in most cases, it's better to have someone in-house when you have that level of a need. But it's not to say yep. some of these other companies don't do a good job. It's just as an owner... Uh, like you are paying a premium because they've trained their person and they're doing it for you. Uh, And now you don't have to train that person in-house. And so there's value there, right? That's why you've accepted that arrangement. And it works out great. That's why there's an industry for it. But no, we we don't go that in depth. We will do, um, we'll update books. We do have some clients who run the profit first system. And so we actually get into their banks and allocate the money based on the way this cash flow system works for them meaning we're transferring money from one of their accounts to another one of their accounts. Uh, and then we send them monthly financial reports along with some like metric things that they need to be considering and looking at. But outside of that, that's kind of where we end with the bookkeeping services. Perfect. Do you do like CFO services? So if I said, hey, you know, my accountant every year just sort of... Um, you know, 
tells looks at everything that that we did and makes sure that I'm within the law and tells me what I owe for state and federal and I pay and and that's it and it's kind of like we shake hands and until I see him the next time unless something comes in that throws me for a loop that I think is outside of the scope of our bookkeeping company you know they they don't have to deal with it it's something that the accounting company should yeah. deal with but when I had this accountant in New York who um, was I believe he was definitely from one of the the big four. I and again, I don't. I almost think it was Deloitte. Um, he was also sort of my CFO, which I hadn't. I haven't had one of those since that time. Uh, and and to be honest with you, I think that one of the most important things as a business owner and an entrepreneur, and that's why it was exciting to have you on. And and I haven't had anybody come on to talk about. Um, tax structure, you know, whether you're an S corp or you're on a cash basis with, you know, all of those things, it just makes my head want to fly off my shoulder. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't even have the interest. Like if somebody <laughs> said to me, I, and I'm, I'm trying to do a good job of saying, okay, what is our monthly profit? Like I'm trying to make sure that we're staying at a number and we're obviously not losing money. Um, but some people are just so into the numbers and I think it's super important. I wish I had a love for it, but when I took my first accounting class in college, the the professor almost told me to never come back. He couldn't figure out how I could not understand the debit and the credit side of the ledger. (laughs) And I, so, so it was, so it was one of those things. So, um, do you do any CFO services for your clients? Yeah. I I mean, let's just clarify because I think, that's definitely a phrase that if I say we do CFO services to a group of 50 business owners, there are 50 people who have, they have 50 different like def- definitions of what that means to them. So um, let's just, let me clarify that. So like what you kind of described as far as, Hey, you can take all these deductions legally. This is what you, this is what we're estimating you're going to owe to me. That's tax planning. Um, that's not CFO services. The CFO services that we do um, would be, okay, what does next year look like? What are you trying to hit? So let's do a projection, but let's do it different than the way a lot of other people are going to have you do it. Let's first start with what do you want to do? Okay, so that's the revenue number. Let's backtrack into it. To get this revenue number, are you planning on adding any additional Revenue streams. Oh, you are. Cool. When is that going to be ready by? Okay. And what do you sell it for? And so we talk through pricing and what's your actual cost on it and what type of margins do you need to make that are sufficient? And okay, you want to go here by next December. Where are you currently at? Are you, is it even feasible for you to add a hundred new clients a month? No, that's a lot. Okay. So then if you want to hit that goal, you know that you can't rely completely on this revenue stream. I, you know, it's just it's talking through them from a number standpoint and helping them build a projection. Uh, in the other client's case, I mentioned we help them get loans. That to me, CFO service stuff because I'm now dealing with the bank on his behalf, getting them the information, explaining to them what they mean. Because on people who get loans don't actually understand tax returns; they mm-hmm. just make their decisions off the tax returns, even though they don't understand them. So right. um, those that's the type of CFO services that we do. And I think is valuable for any business owner to be considering adding. Um, Cause look, if you can build out the whole year on paper first and see really from the get go before the year starts where your big gaps are actually going to be. And if your goal is even feasible and how much work are you willing to put in based on like understanding your margins and those things like, that business owner with that type of clarity is going to dominate the world. So do you also do like, Hey, you're, why are you spending this sort of money on a phone system or, you know, that kind of thing? I mean, do you keep an eye on what's going out the door and say to them, we got to figure this out. This doesn't make any sense sort of thing. Absolutely. Um, So with the profit first system, and it, for any of your listeners, if you're not familiar with it, the original book was written Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. It's phenomenal. It's a very simple cash flow system. And then other people like me have written um, 
specific to industry. So my book was Profit First for Microgyms. But with that system, we can come up with the percentages that should be existing. So like, oh, based on all this information, your operating expenses should be 40% or less. Um, not Maybe not including team or whatever. And so we can monitor that with the clients. Like, hey, you're at 39, you're at 40. Hey, you went to 45% last month. Um, where's that other 5% coming from? Let's go back and make sure, let's look at all these expenses. Is this really necessary? Was that a cool, shiny object uh, that, <laughs> you know, sounded really cool? And now it's like, wow, that was just really expensive and I don't use it. Right. So it's funny. I don't know if you can see on your screen on the phone, but Joellen is sitting in the audience listening and she is a huge fan of Profit First. And, um, and, and we've had conversations about it and can you sort of explain the overall concept? Yeah. Um, so with profit first, the first thing that we have to understand is really why we're in danger if it doesn't work or if you don't have something and that's called Parkinson's law, uh, Parkinson's law says that the demand for something expands to match the supply. And that relates to us as business owners because usually we have one business bank account. Um, we might have a savings, but really we're using the one bank account. That bank account is a giant pile of supply. It's a supply of cash. And your demand on spending that cash, um, yeah, it's going to continue to increase as long as there's cash available to spend. So with Profit First, we say we have to give ourselves this false reality that we have less money to spend than we really do. And the way we do that is kind of like our grandma's envelope system, but we're using bank accounts instead. So we set up uh, about five bank accounts is the minimum that usually is the structure. And each account is going to have a different purpose. So like one account's sole purpose is to receive income deposits. Another one's going to be to put money in to pay the owner. And then we, we have another one to save for taxes. And then we have another one that is for profit distributions for the owners. And then, of course, your operating expense account. So those are your five. And then on a regular basis, uh, we recommend either like once a week or twice a month you're going to take the money that's in your income account and you're going to transfer it into these four other accounts based on the percentages that uh, you would figure out by running the actual system. But um, that's kind of the gist of it. And now this way, when I look at my operating expense account, I've already taken off the table the money that I'm going to need to cover my taxes, money that I need to pay myself because darn it, owners, you have to pay yourself. Um, you can't, you're never going to have a sustainable business if you don't pay yourself a livable wage. Um, profit distribution. So all that money's off the table. So now instead of saying, oh gosh, I have $100,000 in the bank account, I look at my operating expense account and I see $50,000. Okay, I will make decisions off of 50000 because the other 50s already been spoken for. Right. Okay. And it's I'm kind of part part of the way there with my own thing. I have the checking account and then I have my own account that I get some owner's distributions go into, and then I have a savings account that is just like for a rainy day. And then I have a tax account. These are all accounts that I have at the bank. And then I have a tax account that we throw money into so that we can pre, you know, like every quarter pay the taxes that we're estimating. Um, so I'm not completely yeah. um, in a bad way. I'm not sure if I'm, if we're doing it all perfectly, um, but it, you know, at least we're better than, like you said, having this one large <laughs> checking account where we're just saying, Oh man, look at this month. Let's, let's go out to dinner for steak and invite four of our friends. And you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I tell, I just, I tell this to clients all the time who might be either they've tried it and they don't feel like they're doing it the right way or whatever. Like, look, profit first was always designed to be a framework, a set of guidelines and each business owner needs to pick the best way that works for them. And so even if someone hears this 
And they're like, that seems really overwhelming, but I like the idea of saving money for my taxes because I hate it when I owe money in April and I don't have it. Like, even if that's the one thing that they do, they're still now better off ahead. They took one step and eventually they're going to realize, hey, if this is working for my tax stuff, maybe it works for paying myself and all the other things. So I just say, let's meet people where they're at, whatever they're willing to take on. Anything's better than just having the one business bank account. Yeah. Okay, great. So let's let's segue into your book about um, Profit First for Microgems. Can we just quickly talk about that? And, and I know that this is available on Amazon. I will put the link in the show notes. Um, but can we talk a little bit about that and why you wrote that book? Yeah, totally. Um, so one, I wanted to establish myself credible to the gym owner industry um, because I have a, there's other Profit First professionals out there who also serve fitness individuals um and so i also i just have a belief that we do a really good job and i think we're the best at it for gym owners so i'd rather them come to us and ask for help than go anywhere else and the book was kind of a really good way to do that but then i'm not an author i mean i i'm a published author now but i don't consider myself an author <laughs> um it was a great experience kind of, I mean, it was hard. It was really hard. It took me about a year to write it. Uh, there's lots of edits. There's lots of things that go on in publishing a book that I had no idea. Um, I personally read my book like 28 times to it, during the course of all the edits and writing and rewriting and all that stuff. Um, but it really <laughs> helps us clarify the way we do things so that even after writing the book, now when we meet with a gym owner, our level of service to them is so much better than even what it was because we can clearly explain to them um, now that I've kind of honed through, well, this part of the message actually is mudding, uh, mudding it up and confusing people. Um, and then also we felt the need because we had been working with so many gym owners and every time we ran the profit first system with them, we had to tweak it based on the way they paid their coaches Um I, I mean, there's so many different ways gym owners pay their team. It could be a percentage of revenue. It could be a flat fee. They could be W-2. They could be hourly, but they're still contractors. And maybe it's a percentage of revenue. Or I mean, it, maybe it's a dollar amount per person who's in the class. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So we were able to simplify all that stuff in a way that allowed gym owners to easily implement this system. Um, and, like, in this case, we actually added two more accounts to the five that I just named for gym owners we recommend they have a separate one for team members because that's one of their top two expenses every month and let's set that aside so we don't accidentally spend that and um equipment you don't buy equipment every day but every day members use it it's getting wear and tear and at some point you're going to have to replace it and so let's go ahead and set aside money a little bit at a time so that if a big piece of the equipment breaks you have the five grand or ten grand to replace it wow yeah i i can only imagine uh, so that's my question to you before i have this other really important question i have to ask you why the, isn't owning a, a gym just crazy in this day and age i mean aren't you just getting beat up by competitors you know of these larger gyms and and all of that or is it just depending on your location i guess you know basically i'm asking you why the hell would you buy a gym (laughs) right i i think people would people buy a gym because they're passionate about what their gym does for people i mean these gym owners that we deal with i i think they're the heroes of humanity if you think about like just what being out of shape um, and being on medication is like when you're out of shape and you're overweight, there are medications that have been created that are supposed to help you, you know, might like you get out of pain or whatever it may be. Um, Parents not being able to hang out with their kids because they just, they get too fatigued. Uh, I just, the stuff, the, the legacy that they leave and the footprint that they leave by helping their members. That's why those guys open it up. I personally bought into the gym because I wanted to understand them better. It's one thing to look at financials. It's another thing to say, hey, our financials show that we probably need to add another revenue stream. 
And then you actually go to your coaches and say, we're going to add another revenue stream. And they're like, bull crap, I don't want to do this. It's like, whoa, hold on. What? So now I understand the psychology behind <laughs> it and what they're going to deal with, with financial suggestions that we are saying they shouldn't, they need to do to become more profitable. Like I can coach them through, you're probably going to get pushed back here, or this part's not going to go so easy, but it's really important that you do it anyways. Um, and yeah, I think that's why people open up the gym. I, I think, I personally think actually the bigger gyms, like the gold gyms and the 24 hour fitnesses, they took a much bigger hit due to COVID than these micro gyms because micro right. gyms only need a few hundred members to really be profitable because it's a much higher touch point. It's a higher level service. They're not just renting equipment and I'm not faulting the bigger model. Like they have a big space, they buy the equipment, they rent it out. People pay a low amount for it. Great. That kind mm -hmm. of worked until they over leveraged them so, themselves so much, probably by trying to grow too fast. And then when COVID happened, like, I mean, 24 hour fitness in Gold's gym, they closed like thousands of locations permanently when like within a couple months of, of the government shutdown, uh, like in the March, April time period when COVID happened, like the major initial push where micro gyms like, yeah, they might've had to be closed because government forced them to be, but they could still do online classes. They still had a much closer relationship with their members. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if that helps, but that's my story. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's perfect. No, <laughs> that's perfect. And so you recently sold the gym. Yeah. So this leads into uh, one other question I have um, before I let you go, because I don't want to run over our time together. Um, if a, if a company that is working with you wants to basically position themselves to sell their company, which obviously a, you know, a fair amount of entrepreneurs have a goal of like building something, selling it, doing something new, building it and selling it. Right. That's kind of what's in our blood. Um, do you help a business yeah. figure out what the business is worth? So we're not certified evaluators. That's a thing apparently. Okay. Um, but we can definitely help them. Like honestly, for, most of our clients aren't in the multi multi million dollar range where they're using like a you would want to use a specialized merger and acquisition firm type if you're going to sell your company for multiple millions i like i'm thinking like if you're like 20 million and above type of seller price you wouldn't be looking at a firm like mine to help you with valuation you're going to go to much more specialized people but I'll, mm -hmm. i think under that price point the sales that we've seen from clients that i've been involved with you have um, really, you're just trying to come up with the starting point in the negotiations. And then it becomes the seller says, this is why it's worth more. And the buyer says, this is why it's worth less. Uh, mm -hmm. And so really just looking for a starting point. We definitely help our clients get to that all the time. But I think a more important part of that is we can help the clients um, a couple years in advance, knowing that that's their intention, helping them keep their financials clean because we know what is going to confuse an investor, what an investor or a potential buyer isn't going to want to see on their financials. Um, and so we can kind of help them steer clear of those, which ends up making, helps them make better decisions anyways, that makes the business more profitable and therefore a higher selling price anyways. Right. All right. Great. That's, it was a great answer. And that's, I just wanted to kind of get an idea if you sort of delve in that a little bit with some of your clients. So before I let you go, um, people that are listening might go, okay, well, John's got 30 people working for him, but I really like John because I heard John on the podcast and he really sounds like he knows what he's doing. How do you, how does somebody work with you or is it, how do you figure out who you are going to work with personally, as opposed to someone on your team? Yeah, most of the time it's someone working with someone on our team. Um, I, we're just at that point in our business growth that my full-time job is developing my accountants and um, helping them serve as many people. So that I'm basically trying to leverage my knowledge and serve more people that way. Um, in the rare scenario, if someone's going to work with me, it's it's pretty high ticket price. It's it's high value. It's a lot of 
the type of consulting stuff maybe that we've been talking about. Because my team, like if I can help the client save money because my team can do it just as efficiently as someone like myself, then let's have them do it at the lower price and let's reserve me um, and the higher price that you need to pay for the higher value activities. Okay, great. Love the answer. So how does someone um, work with insight tax and accounting? How do, how do you start the process? Or at least, or at least get the initial, yeah, like, so you hey, go to our... you know, mm-hmm. can you tell me what it would cost to work together? Yep. So uh, our website would for a second. I think I lost you for a second there. Insightstax.com. It's I-N-C-I. John, start over that again because I lost you for a second. I think we didn't, we missed okay. some of it. So start. Yeah. Sorry. My phone rang. That's okay. Okay. So yeah, um, our website. Oh, okay. That's what I was. Yeah. Our website's going to be the best place to go. It's insighttax.com, I-N-C-I-T-E-T-A-X, because uh, insight means the cause to action. And it also has an aggressive connotation because we don't like the IRS. Insighttax.com. Um, and then <laughs> you'll see a, a contact us form. If you fill that out, um, we will get a, we will get a hold of you and we're, we'll chat and figure out where you're at in business um, and we'll kind of find areas that we can help you and then tell you how we could work with you. Okay, great. Is there any other places that you would want people to either check you out any other um, like LinkedIn, any social media or anything like that before I let you go? Uh, Really our website's kind of the hub for everything. We try to push everyone there. So that's, that's really the best spot, insighttax.com. Perfect. John, I really appreciate talking with you. I, I appreciate the knowledge that you shared with everybody who will listen to this episode. Um, I think this is super, super important. And um, you, you gave us a lot of great nuggets. And obviously, Profit First is, is, a, is a great way to uh, walk through business and, and make sure that you're, you, you don't walk into that April accounting meeting and you, you want to go out, you know, crying. I mean, I, I walked into them for so many years just sweating. Um, so now I don't do that any longer. But um, I appreciate you for uh, coming on here and sharing your knowledge. And uh, I look forward to talking with you again down the road. Yeah, Joe, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. Okay, you take care of yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I want to thank you for listening to my podcast. I know you have many options to listen to various podcasts, and I'm honored that you chose to listen to mine. I would love it if you would rate my podcast five stars and write a nice review. It really helps to bring up the rankings of the podcast to other listeners. Once again, thank you so much for listening to The Joe Costello Show. I appreciate you very much.